Hi, this is Nancy Yerald, and welcome to Nancy's Psychic View on the High Road to Humanity. And today I have Jaina Wilson here, and she's joining us from Santa Fe, New Mexico. Jaina, welcome. Thank you. It's Jana. Is Just, it Jana? Like, yeah, okay, Jana, all right, Jana. well, cool. That's okay. <laughs> it's Jana Wilson. She's here, and she's going to tell us a little bit about what's going on here with her book, Wise Little One. It's a learning to love and listen to your inner child. It's got a really cool cover. I was telling her before the show, this is a show that you guys need to share because working on your inner child is super, super important. Let me kind of give you an idea of who Jana Wilson is. She's an emotional healing educator. She's a meditation teacher. She's a retreat leader. She's a hypnotherapist, a heart math facilitator, and founder of the Emotional Healing System, which we're going to ask her about. So for the past two decades, she's taught thousands uh, internationally in group and private retreats, and uh, she's got this new book out. And Jenna, tell us your story. I mean, how did this whole thing come about? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Nancy. So I, um, you know, grew up in adverse childhood experience trauma. So I scored 10 out of 10. My father was an alcoholic. My mom had been diagnosed with mental illness. She was um, like bipolar. Uh, back then they called it manic depressive. And she... Um, her and my father were just very, as many of our parents were, right, emotionally incapable. Their brain, our brain doesn't fully develop till we're 25. And here they are, teenagers having kids. So, in their defense, you know, their developmental trauma and all the things that happened to them, I share in the book. But early on, I began to realize um, as a child that I was aware of the dysfunction. I was aware of a lot of the chaos and um, it really catapulted me on a spiritual journey. One that really connected me to um, what I call the Holy Spirit or, you know, really connecting to understanding that there was definitely more than just my family of origin. And I knew this, I had this innate knowing as a young child, I, um, as I said, you know, in, in the ACE test that we give to clients, it there's 10 questions. Are you familiar with it? Well, yeah, go ahead and tell us, tell the audience. It's, it's the adverse childhood experience. Um, and so it's just asking to really gain understanding on, you know, what types of trauma that you've experienced. And there's only 10 questions. And as I said, I scored 10 out of 10. So I grew up in the South in the Bible belt, very, um, you know, very, a lot of dogma and doctrine, a lot of that type of conditioning, but I also had not just early development or intergenerational developmental trauma. I had Pre-conscious trauma, because while my mom was pregnant with me, she was being abused. Of course, she was depressed and she, um, you know, of course the baby takes in all of that cortisol and all those stress hormones. So it was a very difficult upbringing. Um, you know, the reason why a second, if you don't mind, you know, in the book, and I want the audience to hear this because this is really important stuff. I'm really glad you put in that you were affected in the womb because people don't realize how affected the baby is. And you talk about how you actually tried to wrap your head or the cord around your head because you didn't want to deal with this. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, we don't have any memory of being in the womb that happened through a hypnotherapy session. Right. It made sense to me, though, especially once I started to learn trauma and my training and understand, you know, the baby, just like a, if you were a drug addict and the baby, a mother was, you know, taking drugs or drinking, it's going to affect the baby. Right. So, of course, her emotional state affected me as well. And so I was very... um I always knew Nancy that I was, I had the cord wrapped around my neck and that I was breached. I just didn't know I did it. So once That's I went crazy. through hypnotherapy training is when I saw that and it made sense to me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, you know, I jotted down something else, your dad and God bless him. You know, you wrote down that he would, he bought these like roughly panties for you when you're a little kid. And had you go and took you to the bar with them and had you stand on the table and dance. I mean, that's, yeah, that's funny, crazy stuff. I know. And I'm, I'm thinking this is really crazy, but you go on to say, and I love this, that your dad wasn't equipped to love properly. He loved conditionally because he didn't know how he just didn't know. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, I'm sure he was under the influence, right? He was an alcoholic. He was probably drinking. Yeah. He, he adored me and he literally put me on a pedestal, but right. he would, he would take me and buy me these cute little dresses and ruffle underwear and then take me to, you know, to About dance or to get beer money. I mean, it was, it, it's funny. A lot of these interviews I've been doing on the book, a lot of people are most, I think that triggers them a lot mm -hmm. for me. I don't have a lot of recollection of that. That was a lot of my mom's, you know, sharing with me and telling me stories throughout the years of, you know, how she, she would find him doing things like this. And yeah. but you don't remember. I don't really have much memory of that. Yeah. I, just, I, I mean, I assume that I probably in my innocence, you know, I liked it. I mean, I got you attention. Probably thought getting all kinds of attention. Yeah. You probably, right. Oh, you know, you, um, you talk about, and I love this part in your book, you guys, it's a really good book. You need to check it out. It's very well written. I told her before the show that it's just really well written. It's a really good story. And she goes through by years. And, um, you know, you talk in here about growing up and how difficult it was. You had a brother. How old was he? Was he a couple years older than you? Or? Yeah, two and a half years older. Now, did he experience the same thing? Have you, have you, are you, are you still close? I mean, how did it work out for him? Yeah. So I, my brother, um, took the brunt of my dad's rage. I'm sure my dad projected on my brother because he, anything he didn't like in himself, which is typically what parents will do right. if they're unconscious and emotionally unintelligent, they'll project on their children and either, you know, push them to be better than them, or, you know, there's that dynamic, but my, my brother was very sensitive and my dad was as well, but I'm, yeah, I'm certain that's probably why he drank, you know, it's probably why many people turn to addiction because they can't manage emotion. And so my, um, my dad would, you know, drink and rage and, and really, you know, go after my brother and, and beat him unmercifully. He never touched me until I was older. Once I call, I got my voice, the dragon slayer. And I, I, you know, really confronted him and my mom It was the only time he ever laid hands on me. And interestingly enough, it was the very thing that woke my mother up. So she, you know, said, okay, I'm done here up until that point. He could beat her. He could beat my brother, Roy, 
but you know, he never touched me and she would let him come back. But as soon as it happened to me, it was kind of something switched for her. Really? Yeah. Is your mom still with us or is she? Yeah. Yeah. So I share in the epilogue how, um, she passed away last year, July 23rd of last year. She had Alzheimer's. She stayed a steady presence in my life. You know, I'd have to have boundaries. There'd be times where I wouldn't talk with her for a while because it's very hard to be healthy and be in relationship with someone who's unhealthy. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's yeah. absolutely the truth. And my mom was a narcissist. So, but I, I will say they were our best teachers. Yes, they are. Because we wouldn't be in the position we are today. And I know you do a lot of retreats and you do a lot of spiritual work and, you know, look how, look where it's landed you. I have to say that there were so many things in your book that really hit home. I just was like, wow. One was granny and her fried chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Mostly because I grew up, my mom always made the fried chicken, right? And she put it in the bag with the flour and that's how I do it. I hate to say that, but that's what I do. And you shake it up and you put it in the grease and it's the best chicken in the world. Yeah. And I love how yeah. you share that, you know, that your grandma was around and she influenced you some. She did. I mean, she was really a second mother, you know, many times a mother. And even as I grew older, she was always a steady presence. She was, I definitely created an inner resource, a connection to spirit as a young child. But my grandmother was the only external resource that I had. Mm, okay. Other than, you know, yeah. And that's important when you're going through trauma, trauma, if you have someone that you can turn to, right, that supports you, that's there for you. Yeah. I want you to tell the story, if you don't mind, to the audience about when you said, God, I can't do this. You talk to God and tell us the story. I don't want to tell it for you. When you In which situation? Um, when you were younger and you realized that God loved you. Um, okay. I don't, I'm not sure which you said you flew up into the cosmos and then you had this feeling. Oh yeah. So the prologue. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, So the prologue was my first mystical. Well, it wasn't, it was actually, I already had several mystical experiences up until that point. Mystical meaning, you know, they, they were experiences where I felt a presence and I heard wisdom come through. And at 12, Prior to that, I'd experienced so much trauma. The biggest trauma was around eight years old, of course. And so now by the time I'm 12, my mom's still, you know, allowing my dad to come back and the abuse continues. It's like living in a, in a war zone really for a child, because you can't function at school. You can't do anything because you don't know what you're coming home to. Certainly there's no adults to help you with homework or, you know, to provide a steady, presence for you. My mom was very inconsistent in that way, of course, probably because she would go on meds and go off. But the experience you're talking about in the prologue, I start the the story out with this because it was so profound because it woke me up. It woke my soul up. So I'm, you know, my brother's not there. He's a few years older than me. He's gone. And I I, you know, they start the fighting again and he starts hitting her and I run outside it's evening time and we lived in, you know, very rural area. So the night sky was beautiful. And I look up at the sky and I'm praying to Jesus to save me. You know, I'm very, you know, traumatized and I, 
you know, I, all of a sudden I just felt what I can only describe as like a piece that passes all understanding where you feel so calm and, and nurtured and held. And as soon as I felt that I heard, those are not your parents and this is not your life. And I was one with the cosmos. It was like, I could turn around and touch a star. I felt very far out in darkness, yet I could still see and hear and see my little body and hear my mom and hear my dad. But something shifted in me after that. And that I believe is what really led me on this journey. By the time I'm 19, um, I'm already pursuing therapy, you know, really on a spiritual path. And that was just, you know, seven years later after yeah. that experience. I have to, that really hit home with me because I, I've interviewed so many people and a lot of people say on a near-death experience that they can see everything, yet they can focus down. And so I knew what you saw, what you felt was real. And that was huge. I mean, and I just want to say that to everybody out there, you know, you guys, you know, whether you say God or spirit or whatever you want to say, we are loved and we do have a father and mother and we're just down here to learn right now. And so, exactly. you know, it's just so nice to, to have you put that in the book. I want to rewind a little bit. 1970, and the way she does the book, you guys, it's really cool. She does it by year. So she goes through it chronologically. But there was a point where you saved your mom, the pillow. Do yeah. you want to tell that? I mean, that was wow. Yeah. So I was hearing noises and I think I was pretty sensitive to what was going on in the house, even though I'm very young, I'm like in kindergarten. I do have very clear memory of this. And, um, I walk around down the hall, I hear noises and I see my dad on top of my mom suffocating her with a pillow and she's thrashing about. And, um, I'm unsure, you know, had I not came he seemed to be kind of now as an adult, when I look back with a glazed look, maybe in a blacked out state, who knows, you know, he mm -hmm. drank so much, Right. but, um, as soon as, you know, I interrupted, you know, daddy, what are you doing? He pulled the pillow and she was able to get free. And then he just got up and left and mom grabbed me and said, you saved my life. I didn't really understand what that meant or what was happening. I just could feel the energy. And I think that's probably what happens to most children. They're not really cognitive. We're not, you know, it's our brain's not fully developed, of course, mm -hmm. until we're 25. So under the age of seven, we're all emotion. So I was just like five years old. So I didn't have, you know, too much understanding. I just know it didn't feel good. Yeah, no, it's just, that was crazy. I just, um, what you went through, you know, but then you, um, you got into counseling and you started the spiritual path. And I think that's wonderful, but I'm going to rewind again when you go to church. And I want to say this, cause there's a lot of people out there. I grew up in the church of Christ and, um, I'm a spiritual girl. And what really blew my mind is when you went to church, but it's it, how it was then. I mean, you tell them, you tell the Sunday school teacher, hey, I talked to God. And he says, you don't have to be a Christian to get to heaven. And they flip out, right? Yeah, she just sends me packing. I mean, essentially, like I went back there, I think in 2013, I took a picture of, and did a blog on that church. It's, you know, the quintessential Southern church, the white steeple with the big oak trees and the yeah. moss hanging. And, you know, that it was just fear and you know fire and brimstone is what they were teaching and 
long before Neil Donald Walsh wrote Conversations with God as a little girl, I was having these conversations. And as soon as I would ask a question after that awakening at 12, as soon as I would ask a question, I would hear the answer. Mm -hmm. And we now know, you know, the brain processes about 400,000, 400 billion, sorry, bits of information per second. Mm-hmm. So we're aware of only about 2000. So when you hear really quickly an answer, that's your intuition, right? That's you tapping in. Right. It's, it's the truth usually, right? We don't, we tend to kind of water it down and minimize right. it and not listen to ourselves. And that could also be said, that's the wise little one inside. Yeah. And I love how you go to the retreat. You were at this retreat and you were doing meditations and your wise little one told you to leave. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was my inner child at that point. I kind of had an inkling it was because the nudity and I had had molestation as a child. I didn't um, feel very comfortable there and I really wasn't connecting. And I started, my body started to get sick. I started to be run down you know, when you're meditating that many hours, we were doing about six hour sessions and I was with a pretty evolved teacher. She just left her body a month ago, Sally Kempton. And when you're in the space of a teacher like that, you go pretty deep. And so every time I would come out, you know, whether it was two, three hours in, and I would come out to go to the bathroom or do so, I would hear leave. And I kept fighting it You know, I didn't want to leave, but of course that eventually led me to where I am today by listening to that voice. And I certainly don't want to share that because that would be a definitely a spoiler alert. Well, and the thing is, let's talk about the inner child because, you know, it took me a long time. I'll be honest with you. I used to make fun of it. I used to say, oh, the inner child. And I used to think, yeah, oh, it's really funny. But then of course, you know, I started to realize and started to do the work and started to connect with my inner child. And that's the key. And I just love it that you put this together. It's so important. People Thank don't you. realize how important it is. You can parent that child that didn't get parented way back when you can do it now. I want you to tell the audience about this because it's really, it's really important. It's so important. I mean, the relationship with self is the relationship that mirrors all relationships, right? So if we're, you know, internally always criticizing ourselves and judging ourselves and pushing ourselves harshly and not really honoring our feeling self, which is the inner child, then, you know, we're always looking outside of ourselves to get our needs met to, you know, the next thing, whatever it is, whether it's materialism or something will turn to some sort of addiction, love addiction, relationship addiction. And, you know, when you begin to go within Zig Ziglar used to say, if you don't go within, you'll go without. And when you go within and you start, you know, really relating with yourself, like at one time I was this sweet little like I put pictures of myself as a child everywhere. I have like this one where I'm on a swing and my grandmother's behind me, but you can see how sad I should be laughing and happy. And I'm very and unhappy. Not. And yeah. when I look at that, yeah. I can connect with her. I can see like, what's the love this little girl needs. And when I was little, I've always been this way. My number one love language would be words of affirmation out of the five love languages. 
And so I have to continuously tell little Jana, she's a good girl, that I love her. She's doing a good job. Um, I've created, you know, tiny habits. Like it's a, every day we brush our teeth. So my tiny habit in connecting with little Jana is as I'm brushing my teeth every morning, I look in the mirror and I talk to her and I, you know, tell her, you know, what would you like to do today? I ask her questions like this. What would you like to wear? A very intimate connection with myself in that way. I love it. I do it when I meditate. I always ask little Nancy how she's doing, you know, and she's not always doing great. (laughs) So, and I love that you have pictures. Thank you for that. Because I, when I moved here, well, I don't even know when I did this. Maybe it was a year or two ago. I don't know. Whenever I started really working on my inner child, I pulled out the pictures of when I was a little kid. And you're exactly right. You look at the pictures from when you're a little kid and you see something you didn't see before. Right. As an adult, you like recognize it. And mm-hmm. I'm really, I'm going to put more pictures out. I think that's a wonderful thing that you do. I think also every- put it on your phone. I have all my clients put it on their phone, like on the screensaver, you know, like, okay. the, oh, look the- at you, how cute you are. <laughs> A little picture. And so when I look at her, you know, and it's just preciousness, right? That's our pure essence. And I think we've done so many things as adults that we shame ourselves and guilt ourselves for. If we can connect with the innocence and the purity of our true essence, Mm -hmm. then we can, you know, redefine and reestablish a new relationship with ourselves based on one that a loving parent would have with a child. If I had little Jana here, I mean, of course she would have a very different life. I set out to be a cycle breaker in my family. And I did a disruptor in that family dysfunctional system of codependency and addiction. And I've raised a very healthy daughter. I have a grandson. So my, you know, I've definitely, it's possible, right? But it all begins with yourself. Right. And I broke the cycle on my family too. My mom was a narcissist, you know, and I had three sisters beside myself. And when you have a narcissist as a parent, I'll just tell the audience this, and we've talked about it on different shows, but if you're not, if you don't agree with that person, you're out because the narcissist needs all everybody to agree and everybody to be in on it. And if you're not in on it, then you're the black sheep of the family. Mm. It's quite interesting, but it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of willpower to stand up and be who you are. Mm -hmm. It really does. So I give you credit. You know, this book is really needed right now. There's so many people who blame their parents (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you know, you can't, you just got to work on yourself because for a long time I blamed my mom. And then I was like, oh, she just didn't know any better. She did the best she could do with what she knew. Right. Yeah. I mean, when I work with clients, I really um, encourage them not to spiritual bypass that with those types of adages. If you've done the work and you're on the other side to say that's one thing, but a lot of people want to say that before. So that would be like telling a child, you know, they did the best they can. You just need to settle down and get over it. Like the inner child doesn't want to hear my mom did the best. You know, the inner child wants to be validated, but essentially it's not even 
to me about getting to a place of mom and dad did the best they can. I contracted for that mother and father. I'm a reincarnationist. I do past life regression. So that was the game changer in my life. I just know I'm a soul. They're souls. My soul contracted with them. Maybe I was a shitty parent to them in a past life. I don't know. (laughs) You know, so I just accept that. and say what is the lesson i'm in earth school there's a lesson my mother being mentally ill you know i mean my father you know being an addict not really in my life present i mean i never really have been with a man until my present husband that i respected Wow. so you know i really grew up with this idea that you know i would emasculate men because men you know i just didn't have any in my life maybe my uncle but um, not even him, really, because he was an alcoholic as well. Right. So he grew up in the same atmosphere. Well, yeah. you do talk in the book how you do um, find your inner child and how you do start to love yourself. And that's what's so important, you guys, is to love yourself. Love who you are. Just who you are. And you're just fine, you know. And once you do, then the energy changes and the energy shifts. And that's when you met your husband. Yeah. I mean, I had been, you know, since the nineties doing inner child work, John Bradshaw was the first teacher who introduced me to it on PBS. Right. And then I ended up doing work with him in my early thirties and in Houston. And that really opened me up. So it's always been a part of my life. I think once I really, um, you know, wanted to create like for me the best way it's like you can read something and and kind of extract some meaning to it but for me it's like if you give me a step-by-step modality Mm -hmm. to how do I connect with my inner child that's what I'm really great about doing and teaching as an emotional healing educator I teach people how to heal themselves how to connect with their inner child in a very specific like even self-love you know, I've broken it down to five areas. Like, how do you love yourself? It's more than just a Calgon bath, right? And (laughs) Calgon, take me away or go to the spa. It's how are you loving yourself emotionally? Like what kind of words are you saying to yourself internally? That conversation you're having with yourself is the most important one. Again, all relationships will mirror it. So if I'm abusive to myself, if I'm you know, self-flagellating, if I'm, you know, if I'm self-deprecating, if I'm always putting myself down, then of course, what am I going to attract people who mirror that to me? And then I can get, if I'm unconscious, I would get caught up in some story of that. I'm a victim of these people doing, you know, and saying mean things to me when really it's just a reflection of my consciousness. It's a reflection of the relationship I'm having with myself. And so once I change that relationship, you know, if I have a woman, a female client say, I'm in a relationship with somebody who's verbally abusive, I know immediately that they are verbally abusive to themselves. Right. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in a relationship with somebody who is. It's really simple. You ask yourself, would a valuable person, someone who values and treats themselves with lots of respect, be with somebody who doesn't? No. Right. Right, So there's emotional love. There's physical love. You know, how do we love ourselves physically? We eat whole organic food. We move our bodies. You know, we are embodied. We're not all up in our head because that's one of the ways we abandon the inner child is by staying in our head. And the third way is financially. Children thrive on, you know, having, you know, stability. So financially, how are you loving yourself spiritually? 
devotional practices, meditation, prayer, being in nature, you know, having practices that, that connect you to spirit, to something greater. And then um, relationships, how we love ourselves in the mirror of relationship. What I just spoke about, like people who respect us, love us, you know, the relationship is healthy. It's not codependent. It's what's called co-committed. So there's different ways of, you know, oh, and organizationally, that was the fifth way. So, you know, having an organized environment, not having chaos and mess and clutter is another way of loving ourselves. I think most people, unfortunately, our society, you know, and thank God we're, we're learning this stuff and people are starting to wake up and do this stuff, but everybody's always looked outside of themselves for comfort, exactly. for love to be fulfilled. And it's not, you have to look inside. It's, it's the complete opposite. And it's mm. so cool that everybody's waking up. Now, what do you see? Of course, I, I do the show and I talk to a lot of people and, you know, I'm here to help raise the vibration on the planet. And what do you see as you do your work? Do you see more and more people waking up and starting to realize this kind of stuff and coming to you? Yeah, I mean, you know, anyone who's coming to do a deep dive, whether it's in our group retreats or private retreats, are really committed, first of all, because private is very costly. And even group, I mean, you know, even though we try to keep the tuition down, it's still, you know, an investment in money's energy. So the more you invest in yourself, your own personal development and growth, of course, you're going to reap the rewards, right? Right. So. It's, it's important to make that investment, I think, because, um, but I, there's an overarching theme for every client that comes. It's always the same thing. It's never different. It always comes back to some sort of belief, as you said, that getting love from other people from outside is, is, you know, feels better than giving it to yourself. And that's a very unexamined belief most people are it's in the subconscious mind they're not even aware until they hear it that oh yeah I do believe it's my spouse my partner something out there should be doing this to make me feel better and it feels better when they tell me I'm wonderful and it hurts when they tell me I'm terrible but really all that is is just a mirror reflection of what they're saying to themselves so if you shift a false belief just turn it around giving love to myself feels better than getting it from others. Just saying that enough with repetition, because all a belief is, is a practice thought. So if you practice thinking differently, you rewire the brain. That's neuroplasticity, right? Absolutely. Change your thoughts, change your words, change your life. That's Louise Hay, right? (laughs) I always say that we have to change the programming because we were all programmed when we were kids. And we were programmed by people who, you know, just didn't know or whatever. And so it is really taking the time. I love that you talk about this. This is such a cool book, you guys. You have to pick it up because we all need to work on ourselves and stop blaming the outside world for things that go wrong. Because you're right, we're here to learn. And, you know, we learn as we go. Talk about the emotional healing system that you've created. Yeah. So the emotional healing after, you know, many years of studying with some really great teachers and, and I just thought, you know, if I was on a journey and back, you know, in my twenties, what are the essential things that someone needs? And the first of course is consciousness is everything. And what does that mean? It means that everything's an out picturing of what's happening within me. 
So the best way to clean up what's happening within me is self-awareness. So the emotional healing system is really the same skills and strategies and practices of an emotional, of emotional intelligence. So the first is self-awareness. We teach meditation, um, you know, really connecting to spirit. What does that mean? I think that we're having a spiritual crisis on the planet. It's why we see a lot of existential you know, suffering that people don't know who they are. Well, Jen, my big, my big push is to get everybody to connect. I connect every day. I bring in the light. I bring up yep. the light. I teach the audience to connect. I say, just plug in. It only takes a minute. It only takes a few minutes to plug into the divine and bring that light in and bring that energy in. And it balances you and it makes you joyful and all the craziness that's going around in the world it doesn't bother you when you're centered and you're connected to the divine. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but many people don't even know what that means. And that's why we're doing this work. I'm so excited that you're here, yeah. that you're talking about it. Well, and that's why I talk about it, Jenna, on the show. Um, I've taught people to connect for probably the last couple of years because people don't know. They just no, don't. They don't. They have no They've idea. Brought up, been brought up with religion. There's a lot of fear and condemnation, a lot right. of legalism. And so they don't have a connection to their essence, to who right. they really are. That's why I love inner child work and the, um, to finish the, about what the emotional healing system is. So it's meditation as foundation, spiritual connection, uh, learning how to pray affirmatively. So we teach all of these tools then it begins to build on psychosynthesis and shadow work. So most people, if they're not happy, they go see a psychotherapist. In therapy, there's never enough time and Western medicine doesn't address the root cause. And that's what we're talking about here is the root causes. They're believing things about themselves based on that conditioning from childhood, right. you know, that happened so many years ago that they're not even aware of and that those beliefs are what's cr creating their suffering. And so in psychosynthesis and shadow work, you go to a therapist, they don't teach you this. I work with a lot of therapists psychotherapist, um, psychiatrists who come here a lot of my husband's a clinician and we have a retreat called healing the healer. And we work with a lot of them to really help them. But Western medicine is, you know, a sick care system. Yeah. So if a therapist was taught to teach a functioning person how to help themselves, well, they'd be out of a job, right? Because they wouldn't be coming back. This work is really about teaching people the tools, essential tools in that emotional healing system so they don't need to rely on anyone outside of themselves. Right. And you don't. You can only rely on yourself and God. You yeah. know, the one thing that I see uh, with therapists more than anything is they have you tell your story over and over. Exactly. And over again. And you know what that does. That's Absolutely. Just, just it just reinforces chemicals. it. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have to, yeah, that's why everything's got to change. It's a shift. So you are seeing a shift. You are seeing different people. You have therapists come to you. I think that's awesome. Yeah. There, I mean, I've had that, you know, continuously, I've been doing this for 19 years and, but you know, they're definitely more difficult to accept to do this type of work because, you know, they're, they're so indoctrinated in, you know, right. the, the American medical association and the way they teach and, you know, they, they're not open and they suffer in, in terms of, 
of, you know, professional careers, they suffer with suicide ideation, suicide tendencies, suicide, a lot more than other professions. That's crazy. Well, listen, we got to get out of here, but what do you want to leave us with today? You guys, the book is called Wise Little One. It just came out, what, in July? Yeah, July 12th, my grandson's birthday. Oh, that um, How's it going so far? So far, you've had a lot of good response, I bet. Yeah, yeah. The books, um, the cool. book for a week was number one in new releases on inner child self-help. Now it's number nine. So it stayed in the top 10 for the past month. Um, I didn't go with a big publisher. We published it ourselves. So, you know, that's pretty remarkable. I think it's Um, awesome. Yeah. Last parting words is, you know, if you're listening and you're really wanting to look at childhood and see if anything from your childhood, a lot of people think, I had a great childhood. I had great parents. I mean, parent, we're all wabi-sabi, perfectly imperfect. So parental trauma is not like mine. You know, you might read my book and think, oh, well, I didn't have it as bad as her, not even close. So I should be fine. We don't never want number one to compare our stories. Mm-hmm. Everyone's different. I've worked with clients who've had, you know, archetypal parental trauma, not being seen or heard, not having their feelings validated being, you know, live vicariously through, you know, there's different types of, of, of trauma for children, Um, children who, you know, parents who don't model good boundaries, they lose their temper, they talk about the other parent to the child, all of these are traumas. So if you're listening, and you think, oh, well, you know, I don't know why I'm not happy, but it's definitely not my childhood, because it was fine. My parents are still married, everything was fine. No one abused me, blah, blah, blah. I would encourage you to really take a look at that because if you're not happy today, it definitely, in my experience, goes all the way back to your childhood. I agree with you. I yeah. absolutely agree with you. Yeah. I can yeah. speak for, for myself on that one. So yeah, wonderful book. I'm so glad you put it together. Wise little Thank one. Thank you. By Jana Wilson, you guys, she's uh, joining us today from Santa Fe. I'm so glad you're here today. All right, you guys, we've got to get out of here. If you want a psychic reading, if you want an angel reading, go to my website, nancyyearout.com, and you can book your date and time. Also, I'm doing some public speaking. So if you'd like for me to speak at your event, uh, just go to my website again or email me, nancyyearout at gmail.com. It's been a pleasure. You guys have a fabulous week and God bless.